0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to the Hub. Let me welcome Dr. Philip Atiba Goff. Welcome. Thank you very much. Yay! And that is Lorie Daniel Favors, Center for Law and Social Justice, and she stuck around just for you, sir, because <laughs> we need some answers. We need some answers to this question. The, first of all, you, you, in your TED talk, uh, you, you talked about racism. So define that because you said people get, get it confused. They don't know what the real definition is of racism.
1: They really do get it twisted. Um, uh, and I shouldn't say they for everybody because there's some people get it more twisted than other people. Um, uh, but for lots of folks, uh, they want to reduce racism to just how white people feel about black people. Um, uh, and I, I said this a bunch of times, especially in the last seven weeks. When have you ever been at a protest or seen video of a protest and you hear black people chanting, what do we want? White people to feel differently about us. Like that's never happened ever before because racism is not about white people's feelings. Racism is about the patterns of abuse and neglect that happen to black and brown communities, right? You don't have racism without history and you don't have racism without power. We don't need the word racism. um, If you don't have history and power connected to it. So if you reduce racism to prejudice and bigotry, then you reduce the problem to white people's feelings. And a definition of racism that centers white people over black suffering is a definition of racism that's doing the work of racism um, itself.
0: So mm. the notion of a black racist or black supremacy just isn't a thing in this current construct that we live under.
1: I mean, if black people could, I mean, Amir Rahman's got a great little bit. It's like if black people invented the time machine, which if anybody invented the time machine, it's for sure going to be black people. Uh, so black people invented the time machine and we went back probably about 600 years um, and we went to colonize uh, Europe um, and Southeast Asia and we created new modes uh, and centers of beauty to make people hate the, the color and complexion of their skin, the, um, you know, so the geographies of their face. Um, we bombed them back to the Stone Age every you know, 20 or 30 years, um, made all of their economies depend on us, right? Then, yes, you could have a kind of, of power that centered blackness. But given the current geopolitical structure and the way that it's functioning in this country, you can have prejudice, but that's not the same thing as racism. You can have bigotry, but that's not the same thing as racism. And what I care most about is I care about the power to control other people's outcomes, not for myself, but preventing people who want to control whole groups of people's outcomes and then pretend like they like the bad outcomes that were given to them. That's Mm. how we should be talking about it.
2: Mm.
0: talk a little bit. Um, and again, you are, you, you have a whole, when you talked about ComStat, I'm intimately uh, knowledgeable of that because I, I was at the Daily News when Dinkins was mayor and then when Giuliani came in and they had the whole Comstat, broken windows, and all of the crime went down. And it was like a model that everybody throughout the country started instituting. And then we found out uh, that the stop and frisk and all of that did not actually change the anything didn't actually change crime, it just incarcerated more black people and harassed more black people. Surprise, surprise. You want to do something with Comstat that is about justice. You've created something, Comstat for justice. T- talk about that shift and, and what, how, how it looks throughout this country and how we can implement that.
1: Yeah, so let's, let's get straight on, on, on Comstat. Comstat was not the problem with broken windows policing. The racism was the problem. The use of ComStat to be like, hey, and when I say crime, what I really mean is young black people not doing nothing, all right? That's what we're going to define as crime, and let's do some crime enforcement. That's the problem. But any business that's able to stick around and make any money, any organization that can make good on its goals, tracks the things it cares about. And the, the radical notion in ComStat is that you can do that with public safety, right? Really, though, it's only Crime. They only measured crime, and they stopped even measuring crime at some point because they had done all they could do. If we've got systems of public safety that only measure crime and they don't measure justice, we are not mm-hmm. delivering back to vulnerable communities the things that they need. So measuring justice is much harder than counting, which is what Comstat really did originally. All they did is they counted instances of crime, they tried to identify patterns, and they said, hey, go where the patterns are. That's the good version of it. And at a later date, they're like, well, there's no more patterns. Just go where the, where the Negroes are. And, and that's, what, that's what happened then. But to do justice, you actually have to do analytics, not just counting. And that's part of the reason why law enforcement hasn't done it up until now. So we set up our organization to start calculating ways to measure justice and to give back to communities the analytics that say, hey, don't just hold these departments accountable for crime hold them accountable to your values. And when you do that, just like any other organization, you can make them deliver on the things you hold them accountable for. Now you can only do that when you have power. So all the things that we do with the science is nothing without political power, right? And in this moment, we owe almost everything that's possible to the folks out on the streets every night for the last 59 nights, right? So let's not overstate what the power of the nerds are. But without the nerds, what we would have is passion and activation but not a path forward, right? Mm. So it needs to be both the nerds and the activists working together to deliver on public safety that re-centered
2: black communities. Uh, Dr. Goff, I just wanted to, to, one, thank you for your work and the research that you do and, and the, the products that come as a result of that. Uh, we have actually looked to your center, and we at the Center for Law and Social Justice at Medgar Evers College have looked to your center uh, for a lot of information and, and found it just extraordinarily helpful for informing our, our approach. And I wonder if you are familiar with um, – the conversation that is questioning the viability of continuing police reform, as opposed to embracing uh, police uh, community policing models that are similar to those which we find in, for example, some traditional Jewish communities. So, for people who are not familiar, uh, in certain parts of Brooklyn, for example, you have uh, insular religious minority communities that have their own policing uh, mechanisms. They have their own cars, and sometimes you will see, even in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, a car that looks like a NYPD car, but it's got CHSP on it, Crown Heights, Champlain Patrol, or Safety Patrol on it. Um, And these are entities that have their own issues, yes, uh, but that these communities have determined we want our own policing systems, we are going to get city council funding for them in addition to setting up a volunteer structure, and they have essentially, in many ways, uh, bypassed having to interact with NYPD for a whole host of issues. What do you think about that model, and is there room for it in the current discussion while we are looking at police reform? Yes, recognizing that there are, in addition to reforming the police, there are other models that communities could be using in that in-between time. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, so Let me see if I can't reframe that question um, uh, in, in, a, in a way that's sort of uh, the way we've been talking about it the last little bit, which is what do I think about the model of having the community in charge of how they ensure public safety? Right. Mm. And I say, yeah, I'm for it. Um, uh, like the, the only way that you ever get public safety is with the public determining what safety is. And in fact, in many urban communities, and let's be clear on what we mean, urban communities are places where black and brown people were forced to live because white people felt comfortable with us living there. Right? That's and right. Those urban communities, it's not the black and brown folks who live there who are determining it. it is the broader County, which all of a sudden gets way more white, Right, and way more hostile to the things that black and brown folks need, particularly black folks, especially up here in the Northeast. Right? So I would like for communities to be more in charge of the way that they manage public safety. And that is what we already do in this magical place. I want to draw you a picture. Okay? It's a place that exists on Earth. You might have heard of it. You might have visited. Okay? In these places, when someone is sick, a doctor comes. When they've got a mental health issue, they have access to therapy. When their kids are acting out, they can talk to a counselor, right? When they're contemplating suicide, they have friends they can talk to. When there's a divorce, right, or a marital problem, there's a couch they can go live on. This place, and it's, it may be hard to pronounce, it's called the suburbs, <laughs> and this magical place, I'm telling you, they're in charge of their own police. The police do what they want to have, and when the police are too harsh, those police get fired. It's amazing. Right. You've never That's seen right. anything like it before. So the point, the point of all of this is like we're talking like there are these models that are from outer space, and we have no idea what could, how we could possibly get them together. right? But there's not even disagreement between the folks who are calling for abolition and the folks who are calling for large police budgets except about the dollar signs. Law Mm -hmm. enforcement that we work with for the last 25 years are saying, you send us to too many damn things. We can't possibly get trained on all that stuff. The last thing I want for someone considering suicide is a badge and a gun, and yet you have defunded black communities for so long that we're the only thing left. What we can do is we can combat violence in the streets. What we can't do is combat violence in the form of poverty. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't have the right tools for the right problem, then you're going to end up with what we've seen for the last two months in the streets of America. How do I feel about centering community, control over law enforcement? Yeah, I'm for it. So is law enforcement, so are black communities, so is everybody except for the people who profit off of our division.
0: Mm. Dr. Philip Atiba Goff. Atiba, what does that mean? So my
1: parents tell me, and Google has confirmed that Atiba is a Yoruba word, a Yoruba name, for wisdom or one who seeks understanding. understand um, it. And I, I, I feel like you might want the little bit of the fuller story. So I'll tell you, I have an older brother um, whose middle name is Ibata. It's an Igbo word that means strength and perseverance. Because they figured moving from the south to the north that a black child was going to need some strength and some perseverance. And the first, year, first five years of his life, they messed with him so bad they're like, yo, we were not prepared. This northern racism is some new stuff. And so yeah. next generation is going to need to seek wisdom that we don't have. So they named me Atiba. Um, with that mission put on my name and I have tried to wow. be good to it for at least most of my 43 years of life mm.
0: I asked you when off mic how you doing and you said you're you're surviving and I was like yeah but you're smiling you're here you you look good to me you look healthy and you're like well actually no and I thought it was important that we we had that on mic conversation because there are people listening right now and you know the knee-jerk response is I'm good you know when many of us are not good and it's okay to be not good right now because it's a not good time to to live. So talk a little bit about that, Dr. Goff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I am reminded almost every day this year started with one quarter of the globe shrouded in the savage smoke of forest fires from Australia polluting our Mm. atmosphere. Y'all remember that? Right. That's wasn't right. that wasn't that adorable? Don't you wish you could go back to that time? <laughs> right? Um right, and so then shortly thereafter there was a generational pandemic fueled by incompetency and ego. Um that once it hit the United States went ran ravaged out of control. And that was also fueled by the structural inequality and racism that we then saw further ignited two months ago in the public lynching of George Floyd. Right. So That was enough. Each one of those would have been enough, right? Mm. And it's as if God said, no, 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 y'all do not understand what kind of panic you need to be in right now, how much you need to rely on something larger than yourselves. So let me make sure that the federal government is going to send troops into cities that are already suffering from concerns around um, uh, autocratic kind of impulses at the local level. We've got to give you some federal fuel on that as well. Mm. And then they took John Lewis from us, and they took C.T. Vivian. And it's like this, none of that was cute, but now this stuff got personal. So for anybody who's like having a hard time just kind of sitting on their couch, somehow you found a way that you can keep your rent um, and that you're working from home and it's somehow less stressful than going to work every day. And you're like, I don't even know why I feel this way. We've been stalked by the climate that we messed up, by the viruses that we messed up, by the public safety systems that we messed up, by the federal government that we messed up, and the education systems that we messed up, right? Every one of the sins that we planted in the ground of the society we've been walking through has sprouted like the harvest, and we're reaping it right now. So anybody having a hard time today and any given day, you don't need an extra excuse. You don't need to have lost a child or a mother or or, or somebody. You don't even need to be worried about that. This is a world that is not set up to give you peace. So if you're having a hard day, it's okay. And I told my whole staff, um, any day you're having a hard day, it's okay to say that out loud. Let's make sure that when we ask people how you're doing, you ask that with the earnestness you would for someone who could be struggling because anybody might be. And I, I have to model that behavior, right? I can't ask my staff to be vulnerable and say they're not okay and then not mm-hmm. do it myself. So you know, I'm not trying to burden nobody with it, but – I'm, I'm trying to be
0: honest. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to be real honest. I want you back next week. I want you back next week for an hour. We got callers. I want to get callers in. I need you to come back. We need to really have a d- dig-in conversation on this uh, police reform topic. Let me thank you for being here, Dr. Goff.